following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We are journeying with the Israelites through the desert. They've come out of Egypt, they've come through the Red Sea, and they've spent a couple of months now journeying through the hot Sinai Desert en route to the Promised Land, en route to Canaan. Uh, but of course, along the way, they're going to get to Mount Sinai. That's where we pick up the story this morning in Exodus 17. We're going to read just, a, it's a brief story, it's a brief narrative of something that happens here along the way. Let me read Exodus 17 from verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on either side, or one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. A couple of significant things about this particular story uh, in the book of Exodus. One is that this is the only battle scene in the whole book. Uh, there's a lot of battle scenes later on when Israel gets into the promised land, gets into Canaan. The whole book of Joshua is full of warfare. Israel's fighting tribe after tribe, people after people. But this is the only time in the book of Exodus that we see Israel engaging in warfare of any kind. And that's significant because it gives us a little indication of how God fights on behalf of his people and what that looks like and the mixture of human dynamics and God dynamics that are at work there. And we'll explore that a little bit later. The other thing that's significant here is this is the first time that we're introduced to Joshua in the Bible. It's the first time his name is mentioned. He becomes a significant guy in the story later on. There's a whole book of the Bible named after him. But here in Exodus, he doesn't play a big role. The role that he plays, he's an assistant to Moses, and in particular, he seems to be in charge of the army. So he's the military commander. And the reason Joshua doesn't crop up a lot in Exodus is because there's not much warfare. So Joshua comes to the foreground when there's a battle to fight, and that's why he's mentioned here. So what, what happens in this particular scene Israel's trudging through the desert, they're exhausted, they're worn out, they're depleted, and we learn later on in Deuteronomy that at this point in the story, there is a group that is lagging behind. There, there are millions of people here in this, in this community of Israel by this stage, and there's a group that are particularly exhausted and depleted, and they're at the back, these are the laggards at the back, and the Amalekite tribe or people group come along and they pick off those ones. They specifically target the Israelites that are at the back of the community because they are the weakest and they focus their attack on them. So Moses then in response to this gets Joshua to get the army together. And when I say army, it's really a militia. This, Israel had no standing army. They had no training. Joshua probably would have 
perhaps given them a little bit of training as best he could, tried to arm them with some weapons as best he could, but this is pretty amateur stuff. But Joshua gets a bit of an army together, as many fighting men as he can, and the next day he takes the Israelites out into battle against the Amalekites, first time that Israel's tasted warfare in their lives, in their history. But the extraordinary thing about this story is what Moses does while that's going on. Israel goes out into battle. Moses goes up on a hill with a couple of his assistants, Aaron and Hur, and he gets his staff. You remember the old staff, the shepherd's crook, the ordinary boring old staff that he used to just whack the sheep with? He gets the staff. This is the staff that brought the plagues upon Egypt. This is the staff that parted the Red Sea. God's had some pretty big plans for this staff. And now Moses, 80-year-old Moses, clutches the staff above his head, raises his hands, and as long as his arms are raised, the Israelites are winning. But if his arms are lowered, the Amalekites are winning. So Moses, this 80-year-old man, has got to stand there all day with his arms raised above his head, clutching the staff. And of course, the point is not that Moses is a great leader or that the Israelites are a strong army. The point is that Yahweh, God, is fighting for them. That's the unmistakable point of the story. This is God's power. And the staff and the raised hands, they're a sign of God's power. It's a sign of God's favor. It's a sign of God fighting for his people and bringing victory. That's what the Israelites needed to know. So the day draws on. Moses gets a bit tired. And some people come and bring him a stone so he can sit down, rest a bit. And Aaron and Hur come along, this beautiful picture. And they each take an arm. And they, they, they hold up his arms. They support his arms so that he can remain steady in this position till sunset. And the Israelites win a victory because Moses is able to keep his arms raised and God keeps on fighting for Israel. The Amalekites are defeated. They're not destroyed. In fact, they come back a year later and they have another go at Israel. But they're defeated on this occasion. They're not an immediate threat anymore to Israel. And what Moses does, this I think is the most important part of the story. At the end in verse 15, Moses builds an altar. Altars were built to commemorate significant God moments. Places where God showed up and dramatically worked or revealed himself. So Moses builds an altar. And he names it in Hebrew, Yahweh Nisi. And the translation is, God our banner, or the Lord is our banner. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word banner. I kind of think of church banners. You know, that's kind of where my mind goes. You know, church banners, like in some church buildings, they have banners hanging on the walls. So that may be a picture of a dove or a Bible or you know, a little Bible verse. I've got a little bit of an aversion to banners. I have to say a little bit of bannerphobia going on. I kind of feel about banners the same way I feel about cheesy church signs out the front. A little bit phobic of those things, uh, but this is not that kind of banner. You'll be pleased to know. This is a different kind of banner. This, the banner, or the niece, was a military thing. It was a military instrument, and the army would carry this into battle. It was a huge, big wooden pole. And on top of the pole, there'd be some signal or, or a flag or a symbol of that, that army or that people group, that tribe, their, their, their symbol, like a flag. And as the army went into battle, someone would take the banner and go to the highest point near the battle. And then the banner would function in a few ways. It could communicate information to the army. It would be a symbol of that army's presence. It was a rallying point so that if the army needed to regroup or retreat, they could rally back around the banner. And most importantly, it symbolized victory. 
that if the army won, the banner was raised up and this signaled the fact that the victory has happened. This army's won and it signaled to the other guys, you've lost the battle, so you better take off because this has not gone well for you. So the, that's the banner. It was, it was this great symbol of the army's presence and the victory of that army in this particular battle. So when Moses calls this place Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner, he's drawing a connection between that military banner and the way it operated and what God has done for his people. Except Moses is not saying this is about our great strength or my great leadership or Joshua's great military lead. This is about God. The Lord is our banner. God, God hasn't just, just done something. He is our banner. He is the one who's protected us. He's the one who's, who's fought this battle. He's the one who's brought about victory. That's what God needed Israel to understand because this is what would be so important in every subsequent battle they faced, that God was fighting for them. And if they looked to him, if they looked to the banner, Things would go well, looked in terms of faith. If they exercised faith in God, he would bring victory. But if they just tried to do it on their own, as they did the next time they faced the Amalekites, a year later, they just went out on their own with no commandment from God to do so, and they lost. So God's fighting for his people as they exercise faith in him. The Lord is our banner. Now, from this point in the biblical story, this image of the banner becomes quite a significant motif. And it gets picked up numerous times in the biblical story. The prophets of Israel pick up this image and they talk about God as our banner and what that means. And they talk about it in reference to what God has planned and what he's going to do in the future. I want to read you one text, the most significant place where this image of the banner is used in Isaiah 11. You don't have to turn there, it's on the screen. But let me just read this to you, this prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah 11 verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Now that's a prophecy about the Messiah. That's a prophecy about Israel's Messiah. And in the context of the biblical story, that points to Jesus. This is ultimately a prophecy about Christ. That Jesus is our banner. And in particular, the time of Jesus' death, the cross, is the banner that brings victory over our lives. There's an incredible symmetry between what Moses did in Exodus 17 in this battle and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Moses goes up on a hill and he lifts up this wooden banner with his arms raised. Jesus is taken up on a hill called Golgotha and he's lifted up and his arms are outstretched on a wooden cross. Christ is our banner. Jesus himself said in John 12, if I am lifted up, literally the word is exalted, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. He's talking in the first instance about the cross, that he was lifted up as a banner on the cross. And what that means is that through the death of Jesus and through the, the, the awfulness of that event, God has won a great victory. <coughs> Far greater than a victory over a particular people group or tribe like the Amalekites, God's won a victory over his ultimate enemy, Satan. God's won a victory over the devil and all of his forces of evil, the powers of darkness in this world and in the heavenly realms, God has won a victory over all sin 
through the cross. He's broken the power of sin in our lives and in our world, the power and the forces of evil. He's won a victory over death, conquered the grave through his death and through his resurrection. All of that on the cross. And that's what the cross stands as a marker of in history is the victory of God over everything that opposes his reign, opposes his rule, and opposes his creative, redemptive work on planet earth. And then as the banner is lifted up, as Christ is lifted up on the cross, he draws all people to himself. That's the other thing the military banner does. It draws the army back to the banner to, to rally, to regroup. Because the cross is the victory of God, it becomes the rallying place for us to go to find life. Now that Jesus has died for us, now that he's defeated sin, now that he's removed everything that stands in the way of us being reconciled to God, the doors are flung wide open for all people, all nations, all tribes to come and experience the life that's found in God. The cross is now the rallying point for all people. And God is gathering the nations and gathering them to the cross, just like the armies gathered to the banner. So whereas this, this battle in Exodus 17 was a battle against a particular nation, the cross represents God's desire to reach the nations. We'll talk about this more next week, to draw all peoples, all nations to himself. Christ is our banner. So in the first instance, we need to let the story in Exodus 17 of Moses lifting up the staff point us to Jesus. That's the purpose of the story, to point us to the cross so that we as Christians now, standing on the other side of the cross and the resurrection, we look back and we now say, it's not just Yahweh Nisi, it's not just the Lord is our banner, Jesus is our banner. Christ is our banner. He's been raised up. He's the victory one. He's the risen son. He's the one now who is drawing all people to himself because of his death on the cross. And Christ is still our banner in our lives. He's still a banner over us. He's still a banner over our church. He's still outworking his victory in the world. He's still outworking his power in the world. He's still lifted up, no longer on the cross, now in heaven. Now he's exalted and lifted up in heaven. But he's still a banner over our lives. And the way in which he outworks his victory, the way in which he, he unleashes his power in our lives, is quite unique. And there's a hint of it in this story. The remarkable way that God works to bring about victory and release his power in the world is right here in this story. And it's in this mixture of the way God works and the way people work. See, God could have just snapped his fingers and destroyed the Amalekites. God could easily have brought upon them the kind of plague he brought upon Egypt, wiped them out without Israel ever having to lift a finger, but that didn't happen. Israel had to fight. Israel had to take up weapons. They had to go into warfare. They had to do something. And Moses had to do something. God orchestrated it this way in his wisdom, in his providence. Could have done it a different way, but God chose to use this feeble 80-year-old man who had to lift up his arms all day to bring about victory for his people. He didn't just snap his fingers and bring about divine judgment. God worked through human weakness. He worked through people. He worked through our brokenness to fight for his people. God worked through Moses. And many people have seen in the reference to Moses raising his arms up a reference to prayer. This within, within Jewish tradition is the posture of prayer. The raised arms. And so some have drawn that from this story, that just as Moses raises up his arms in the wilderness, God unleashes his power through us praying for one another. There's a wonderful couple in our church, Ian and Dawn Stevenson, 
And they are faithful prayer warriors in our, in our church community. They faithfully pray for me in my ministry, in my job here. They've prayed for me for many, many years. And before me, they prayed for Jeff, who was the pastor here. And, and they've just been faithful over time, praying for me. And sometimes they'll come up to me quietly, as they did last week, and say, we're lifting up your arms. And it's, it's almost like a little insider conversation. Uh, you've got to know the story of Exodus 17 to hear the echoes of what they're saying because they're tapping into the language of this story. And they're saying, just as Aaron and Hur came along and held up Moses' arms, we're holding up your arms in prayer to help you stand, to help you do what it is that God has called you to do. And it's tremendously encouraging, not only to know that God's working in response to those prayers and empowering me, but simply to know that there's people that are caring enough to pray, to know that people are praying for me that faithfully. That's hugely encouraging. That's hugely motivating. And it's a beautiful image of prayer, isn't it? This is how God works in our lives. One of the primary ways he works in our church community is through prayer, through us holding up the arms of one another. So who's holding up your arms? If you're battling, and many of you are, if you're struggling, you're in the middle of something that's just hard, or you're at a decision point in your life for your family, and there's, there's a big challenge, a big decision to make, who's holding up your arms? Who's praying for you? Because we can figure this stuff out, and we can get advisors and people that are smart around us, but who's praying for you? Are you willing to ask someone else in our church to pray? Are you willing even today to bowl up to someone, someone you know, someone you trust, I'm not talking about a whole lot of people, but someone, and say, can you pray for me? I need you to hold up my arms. I need prayer in this particular area or for this issue or for this struggle that I'm facing, this battle that I'm facing. I need someone to hold up my arms. And you will be encouraged, not only by the fact that God is working in response to their prayers, but just the knowledge that someone's praying for you. And they may do it off their own bat, but you may need to ask. So have the boldness and the brokenness to ask someone to pray for you and receive it into your life. And then let me flip the, other qu the question around. Whose arms are you holding up? I want to ask you to do something for a minute. If you're, if you're able-bodied enough to do this, I want to ask you to just lift up your arms like this. Just everybody out in front of you. You don't need to, not right above your head, just kind of like you're a halfway Pentecostal, kind of straight, straight out there. Straight out, yeah. And just keep them up there, just as I'm talking now. Just keep those arms raised. The reality is, in our congregation, at any given time, there's people struggling. There's people who are hurting. There's people, if you look up and down your row right now, there's people who are battling. Some of them we might know about. Others of them, we might not know about. Some of them might be quite hidden and quite painful. Keep your arms up. <laughs> Starting to hurt. But the reality is we have responsibility to pray for those people. If the only question we ask is who's praying for me, nobody's going to do the praying. At a certain point, we've also got to ask whose arms am I holding up? You know, one of the things I love to... Keep your arms up. One of the things <laughs> I love to see in our church is people praying for one another on Sunday mornings. And it's happening more and more. It's so encouraging. Sometimes it happens over there in the prayer chairs, but not always. Sometimes it's before and after church, you see two people, three people, four people praying together. And do you know why that is? Because sometime in that conversation, someone said the two magic words, let's pray. 
And they did something that can be a little bit socially awkward. They shifted the conversation from talking about the situation, keep your arms up if you can, to praying for the situation. It's hurting, isn't it? Just a few more seconds. Because how you're feeling physically is how some people around you are feeling spiritually and emotionally and mentally right now. This is what it feels like when you're battling on your own and you're slogging it out on your own. All right, you can put your arms down. Shake it off, come on. <laughs> That's what it feels like when you're battling on your own and that is why we've got to pray. It's hard to keep your arms up on your own. You know this, we're all fighting battles. Some of us are fighting battles with temptation at the moment. Areas, habits in our lives and we're falling into something and we're in a temptation and it's just really, really hard and you're losing it if you're honest with yourself. If you're just battling that alone, you can't keep your arms up forever. Some of you are battling circumstances, health issues, long-term health issues, some of you. Struggles in your family, struggles with kids, with parents, relationships, all kinds of things, all so sorts of situations. You can't keep your arms up forever. It's, it hurts. You need the prayers of other people around you. And you need to be praying for people around you. So I want to encourage you this morning, even in the casual conversations that you're having with people, if you're talking about a situation that's difficult, if you just fall into conversation about a struggle that you're having or they're having in their life, I want to encourage you to be the one that says the two awkward words, let's pray. And I find it's best to do it right then and there. Not kind of a, hey, I'll pray for you this week, because let's be honest, you won't. It'll go out of your mind as soon as you get home, right then and there. And it's a little bit weird, isn't it? It feels a little bit, oh, you know, we were just talking about something and now you've made it weird. Now you've said, let's pray. It's kind of, oh. But do you know why this is important? Because we're Christians. Isn't this who we are? Don't we believe in Jesus? Don't we follow Jesus? Don't we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? If those things are yes, then shouldn't we be a praying community for each other? Shouldn't we be prepared to just push through the awkward barrier a little bit for the sake of saying, can I just pray for you? And you don't have to have eloquence or any special words, just whatever is on your heart, even if it's a stumbling, mumbling, bumbling prayer, we probably need a few more of those, to be honest to keep us humble and broken before God. God sees your heart and the other person, man, you know, they are not going to care about the words you say. They are going to walk out of this room overjoyed that somebody cared enough about them to say, can I pray for you? And can I just pray for you now? That will be so meaningful. So who's holding up your arms? And whose arms are you holding up? Let's allow this story to point us to Jesus. That's the point. To celebrate that the Lord is our banner and that as we look at the cross, Jesus is our banner. Our banner over life and death. And his banner over us, the Bible says, is love. But let's also realize that the way Jesus is a banner over us and the way he works and the way he outworks his victory is through one another. Through feeble people and raised arms. Through prayers. Through the prayers of our community. So ask yourself, who's holding up your arms? Ask for prayer if you need it, and we all do. And be willing to say the tough words and offer to pray with someone else, even today. That our arms may be raised and that we may be able to stand firm and persevere in the battles that we're fighting. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. 
And we thank you that you have been raised up and you're a banner for all peoples. You draw all people to yourself, Jesus. We thank you for that. Thank you for the way that you've drawn us to yourself. And Jesus, we want to accept the challenge in this passage to be a praying community for each other. Thank you for the gift of prayer. That You never had to give that gift to us, but you've chosen to work through the prayers of your people to lift one another's arms. And Father, for situations that we know of now, for people that we know who, who struggle, give us the courage to reach out to them this week in prayer. Give us the courage to pray with them over the phone or to catch up with them and pray with them in person or at least to let them know that we're praying for them. Make us a praying community, God. Help us to love each other enough to pray for each other. And we ask, Lord, that as we do this, as we hold up each other's arms in prayer, that we might be empowered to stand our ground on the day of evil, to stand our ground in the struggles and the temptations and the battles and the tough decisions and the doubts and the inner turmoil and whatever it is we're going through, that as we give and receive prayer to one another, strengthen us, Lord, to stand our ground so that as your word says, after we've done everything, we may still stand. And once the day of evil is past, that we may be found still standing. We stand in your grace. We stand anchored in your spirit. And we stand on the prayers of one another. So we thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for one another. And thank you most of all for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.